Now, last time I was with you, um, I spoke to you about being God's people in the 21st century. And I said that uh, in this new era, there are five things we need to reconsider or recover or rediscover or understand. Uh, And they were these. First, we need to understand our times. Second, we need to rediscover the true nature of church. Third, we need to understand the thinking of people around us. Fourth, we need to appreciate the primary ministry of a church. And fifth, we need to do what God wants us to do when we meet. I think those five things are absolutely crucial for us today. Now, when I was here last time, we spoke about the first. That is, we need to understand our times. And I spoke to you about our now being in a post-Christendom era and something of what that means. This time, I have time only to speak to you about one other of those issues, and that is we need to do what God wants us to do when we meet. But before we look at that more closely, just let me remind you of some of the implications of this new uh, 21st century uh, post-Christendom era in which we find ourselves. And as I said last time, I'm not saying that this is the post-Christian era or the post-Gospel era. Those things are as important and relevant and as certain as they ever were. But I am saying that we live in the post-Christendom era. That is, an era in which the Christian faith and the Christian church is no longer part of the community furniture, so to speak. A totally different uh, moral, social, ethical, cultural, spiritual climate. So, bearing that in mind, there are, th- there are three implications of that fact. First, this is the first time ever, ever, that Western Christians have uh, found themselves seeking to follow Christ in a post-Christendom era. That has never happened to Western Christians before. Second, church as we know it and practice it Uh, for better or for worse is a product of an era that is past and that too has never happened before and thirdly today members of our churches that is older and younger people are products of two dramatically different eras uh, while still being members of the same congregation Uh, older people being products of the Christendom era younger people products of the post-Christendom era but both existing, coexisting in the same congregation. That too has never happened before. So for all these reasons, we are in a unique situation uh, which we must take seriously. So no wonder there's so much confusion, uncertainty, perplexity, uh, differing points of view about many things and so on you might say that we are on a mezzanine floor between two eras. Technically, the Christendom era has passed, finished about 30, 35 years ago. But practically, uh, we're in an in-between situation because probably half of you here this morning uh, are over 50 and uh, the other half of you are under. So um, we are still here together 
uh, time will take care of this matter eventually. Um, we older folk will go to be with the Lord and then you'll have more of a mono-type congregation. But at present, we're on this mezzanine floor, hence the title of my book, Church on the Mezzanine Floor. This is a halfway, interim, unclear, awkward, um, uncomfortable situation that we must live with and, and, and exploit, not just suffer and endure, but exploit uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God. But now let's return to our question for this morning. What does God want us to do when we meet? That is, especially when we meet on Sundays. Uh, the most frequent answer to this question is to hold or conduct a service. This answer is so common, you would almost think that Jesus had said, go into all the world and conduct services. But he didn't. Uh, and this idea that uh, we, when we meet like this, must, quote, conduct a service, unquote, uh, is reinforced and has been reinforced over many, many years with expressions like this, like these. The hour of worship, the house of worship, a worship service, worship music, worship leaders, and so on. Now, what Jesus did say was, as you know, go into all the world and make disciples. So it follows that whatever we do, whatever we do when we meet, ought to be as, as, as effective to that end as it possibly can be, whatever that means. Of course, um, it's a very good thing and a very right thing for us to praise God when we meet and to thank him for his immense uh, goodness and mercy and grace. That's a wonderful and right thing to do. Uh, like the old uh, hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining is the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So we will need eternity to do that. But there are other things uh, that God wants us to do uh, when we meet too. And this is very clear from the fact that the four Greek words in the New Testament which are translated worship in our English language of those four Greek words none are used in connection with Christian meetings. That's a really explosive discovery of the four words, the Greek words used in our original New Testaments which we translate worship none, none refer to Christian meetings. The first three mean things like, quote, to bow down, to make obeisance, to pay tribute or homage, to fall prostrate, and so on. And the fourth one uh, means a life of service. For example, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices wholly acceptable to the Lord which he said is your spiritual service of worship. So worship is not a form of meeting it's a way of living. It's not a form of meeting it's a way of living. God is much more concerned about our worship of service than our services 
of worship. Now this raises a very important issue about what we are really doing here on Sunday because by, based on what I have just said to you, when we gather like this on Sunday, we are not coming to worship, we are coming from worship. That is, we are coming from seeking to honour God in our daily lives. That's what Paul meant when he said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we're coming from honouring God in our daily lives, which is worship, to do something else. And my question is, what else? What else? Now, we, a few moments ago, heard from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, where the writer tells the Christians of that day not to neglect uh, to meet together, as some were doing, but to meet regularly in order, he said, to build up and encourage one another. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, we have a similar statement. Uh, Paul says, brothers and sisters, what should we do when we meet? And then he answers his own question by saying, uh, let one bring a hymn, a teaching, an interpretation, a tongue, and it's not an exhaustive list. I think it implies sharing experiences, lessons learned, uh, insights gained to offer all forms of encouragement and equipping to one another. A recent survey in two major Australian denominations showed that 70% of the members of those churches saw little or no connection between their Christian faith and their daily spheres of influence, that is their neighbourhood, workplace, uh, community, uh, family and the world at large, 70%. Now how did such a massive gap open up? How has such a huge uh, disconnection occurred? I think there are two reasons for this. The first is, for a long time we've held an unbiblical view of church, that is, of the ministry of a church, an unbiblical view of the primary ministry of a church. By that I mean this. The primary ministry of a church is not its regular meetings, however important they may be. It's not the work the pastor does, however important that may be. It's not the various uh, clubs and groups and classes and so on that are held on a regular basis and sponsored by the church, important though they are. The primary ministry of a church is the sum total of everything which everyone of its members says and does in every situation in which they find themselves on every day of every week. That is the primary ministry of your church, this church. The sum total of everything which every one of you do and say in every situation in which you find yourselves on every day of every week. Now when you think about it like that, even the smallest church has a vast sphere of ministry. Huge, absolutely huge and getting bigger by the day by virtue of uh, social media, the internet and so on. Uh, If you were to uh, list 
next Sunday or your names, addresses, uh, family circumstances, uh, places of work and study and school, uh, involvement in community and civic affairs, etc., etc. If you were to list all that information and display it on the screen here next Sunday morning as the primary ministry of the Montmorency Community Church, you would be absolutely stunned, blown away, as we say these days. Uh, and you would look at that vast uh, list of, um, of, of places and spheres of influence and you would say, in our wildest dreams, we never dreamt that this church, our church, had such a vast, huge sphere of influence and therefore ministry. So that, biblically speaking, <clears throat> is the primary ministry of every church. And uh, I think failure to understand that results in a massive disconnect or gap between Sunday and Monday. In other words, every church, however small, because it has a vast sphere of influence and ministry through its members' daily lives, must begin to take their Mondays seriously on Sundays. We must begin to take our Mondays seriously on Sundays and that is a very big clue as to what God wants us to do when we meet. The tragedy is that many churches simply do not do this. They simply don't do that. I sometimes think that Western Christians may be amongst the only people in the world who meet to do something that they don't do. What an irony that is. We may well be amongst the only people in the world who meet to do something that we don't do. Similarly, on Sunday, we don't, as we say, go to church, quote unquote. We don't go to church. The church comes together. The early Christians did not uh, have worship services and prayer meetings and Bible study meetings and fellowship meetings. They had believers' meetings. And that's why they met. They didn't meet to pray or to study uh, or because they wanted to worship God. They met because they were believers. They didn't meet because of what they were going to do. They met because of who they were. And when you meet because of who you are, that makes a huge difference, a massive difference. We have got quite accustomed these days to going home and saying, well, that was a good service. That was a bad Bible study. And we rate our meetings good, bad and indifferent uh, on the basis of certain things that happened at the meeting. Uh, But when you meet because of who you are, rather than because of what you are going to do, every meeting is a good one. Every meeting is a good one. Because when you meet because of who you are, uh, there's a sense of wonder about that and awe about that and drama and even audacity about that. Imagine in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, meeting as children of the kingdom of light, absolutely defying everything that uh, this pagan world would want to, 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 to convince us of. What, what, 
what a wonder there is about that. So when we meet because of who we are, rather than because of not of what we are going to do, every event is a very good meeting. In this post-Christendom era, we need to rediscover, therefore, why God wants us to meet. Not long ago, I was speaking to a young man who said to me, I belong to one of the biggest and most popular churches in Melbourne. I go there every Sunday night, but nobody there seems to either know nor care that five days a week, and he was was a a builder's labourer, he said, no one there seems to know or care that for five days a week I work with a builder from hell. Interesting comment. Not long after that, I was speaking at a church in Wodonga. Uh, A young man, a young tradesman spoke to me. He said, in this church, we pray for the ministers, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the youth leaders, the Sunday school teachers. But he said, whenever, whenever are we going to pray for the plumbers? Very good question. Whenever are we going to pray for the plumbers? and the businessmen and the teachers and the taxi drivers and the builders and the nurses and the shopkeepers and the doctors and the secretaries and the farmers and the students and retired people and mothers and fathers whenever are we going to pray for them. I think the best meeting, if I can use that expression, which is a bit ironic after what I've just said, but the best meeting I've ever attended uh, and ever been in was attended by eight people. The pastor was not there. He only came once a month. Uh, There was no music and there were just eight people. This was in uh, Wheatbelt area of Western Australia. During this hour or two that these people spent together, uh, they, amongst other things, they prayed for... Uh, an auto electrician and a nurse uh, and they commissioned them to their sphere of influence in just the same way that we would commission a missionary about to go overseas that this little group of people gathered around on this occasion those two people and commissioned them to their sphere of daily influence in just the same way as I said as we would publicly commission a missionary. I think that was the most authentic, real, truly moving, exciting Christian event I've, I've ever been involved in and that includes meetings where there have been thousands of people. And it was simply because these people were doing what God wanted them to do, what God wants us to do uh, when they meet. I think we should take our Christian tradespeople particularly seriously because as they are comparatively few in number uh, they should be regarded as a great asset to any church who wants to further the kingdom and share the gospel. The most effective evangelist I know most effective evangelist I know is an electrician. So we really begin, we really need to begin to take each other's Mondays or weekdays seriously when we meet.
some uh, time ago when I was still serving as a pastor and beginning to become more aware of these things uh, I decided to put um, to act upon them and I went to visit a lady in our church who worked in a large municipal office her name was Edna I called on her without any warning I asked the receptionist can I see Edna Uh, she brought Edna into the foyer of this large office and when Edna saw me one of her pastors her mouth dropped about a metre she was shocked and she blurted out who's dead (laughs) I was shocked I said Edna Edna calm down I said no one is dead she said then what's wrong whatever's wrong I said, Edna, relax, nothing is wrong. And then she said, then why are you here? How about that for the commentary of a typical church member's understanding of the work of a pastor? Who's dead? What's wrong? Why are you here? Unbelievable, but very revealing. So I said to her, Edna, Edna, it's all right, relax. I said, recently I've begun to understand that what you do here seven, five days a week in this place is a very important ministry of our church. You're a Christian lady, you're a member of our church, so what you do here is a ministry of our church. She was amazed to hear that. But when uh, she began to take a bit of that in, she said, well, if that's true, you must come with me. And she took me and introduced me personally to the 25 people with whom she worked. Then, because it was near lunchtime, she said, come into my office, we'll have some lunch together. And through a glass petition, we could see nearly all of those people. And she went round them again. She said, see that lady there? See that girl there? See that man there? She told me how she was encouraging this one, praying for that one, sharing her faith with this one. When she'd finished, I said, Edna, you're the pastor in this place. I'll never forget her response. She said, am I? Am I? And I said, yes, you are, Edna. And furthermore, you are the evangelist in this place. And again she said, am I? Really? She said, well, if that's true, um, would you please pray for me before you leave? And I did. And a few minutes later, When I left Edna's workplace, it was a whole new world to her. Not because I was anyone special, but because for the first time in her life as a mature Christian, Edna had come to see her workplace and that sphere of influence as a very important ministry of our church. I met a lady who was a district nurse. I said, how many homes do you visit in a week? About 40, she said. How many of those would be of non-Christian people? About 35, she said. I said, does your your uh, pastor know about this? No. No. Do the elders know about this? No. Does anyone in your church know about this? Only my best friend. I said, do you know that you have more contact with more non-Christian people every week than your pastor does? No, she said. Never thought about that. This tragedy can be repeated over and over and over and over in hundreds of churches. Everyday life 
brings all kinds of opportunities, unexpected often, to help people discover God's love for them. My wife, Kathy, was in a bank recently at the head of a long queue. She noticed that the lady at the rear of the queue was having trouble standing. She went back to her and said, look, I can see you're in some pain here. Why don't you go up to the front of the queue and take my place and I'll come back here and take yours. The lady was astounded, uh, but she agreed. And pretty soon she was through with the teller and my wife thought, well, I probably won't see her again. But the lady found a chair and waited a long time till my wife was through the queue and when she was, she got up and she hurried across the foyer, she threw her arms around my wife, a total stranger, and she thanked her over and over and over again for doing that. And she said, but why? Why? You don't know me from a bar of soap. And uh, my wife tried to play it down. She said, well, I used to be a nurse and I guess I've got a bit of an eye for people in pain, but that wasn't enough. The lady said, no, really, why? And uh, she said, well... Um, well, um, well, she said, I am a Christian and perhaps God, because he loves you, uh, gave me a nudge and uh, saw that you needed help. The lady was amazed, absolutely amazed to, to hear that God loved her like that. And a discussion followed in during which Kathy was able to speak to her about many things to do with knowing God and being his and trusting him. Daily life is full of unexpected opportunities which when we meet we must, um, we must relate to and hear about and share in such a way that um, their significance is fully understood. So all of these things are immensely important to remember when we meet. Your church has a 24-7, seven days a week Ministry and it already exists. That's another thing. It already exists without another dollar spent, without another committee meeting, without another late night or without another program to make your members busier. Everything I'm talking about already exists. It's tragic that often the same churches which neglect the significance and the kingdom potential of their members' daily lives are searching the world for bigger and better programs of outreach. Most of those programs are labour intensive and uh, they are often uh, implemented by churches who totally ignore the importance of their members' daily spheres of influence. So, this, whether we do or not, whether we do take our Monday seriously on Sundays indicates whether or not we are really a church in mission mode. Uh, A church in maintenance mode, for example, when it prays, a church in maintenance mode prays for the people who are sick. Eight out of ten prayer requests in most churches are for people who are sick. Now, by all means, let's pray for people who are unwell. But my question is, why don't we pray for the people who are well? That's the really important question. And we say, oh, we don't pray for them because they're not sick. The very fact that they are well means they have an even greater sphere of influence 
and relationship or relating to people who don't know the Lord generally uh, than those who are sick. Similarly, a church in uh, mission mode doesn't just, the members don't just contact each other when there is something wrong, uh, they contact each other when there's nothing wrong to encourage one another, uh, to assure each other of their prayer. If I phoned one of my fellow church members and said, um, when he recognised my voice, he would say, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'd say, no, there's nothing wrong, Fred. Well, why did you call me? Well, I just called you to tell you that I was praying for you this morning and thanking God for the kind of person you are and the gifts and the, and the, and the capacities he's given you. Really? Do you know many Christians have never received a phone call like that in all their lives? So another sign of a church in mission mode is that we support and encourage one another uh, when nothing, when nothing is wrong. So to answer the question, what does God want us to do when we meet? Let me say this. God wants us to hold, not to conduct the service as such. He wants us to have a reunion. A reunion uh, like the gathering of a large family where we do whatever we believe will best prepare every Christian present to honour the Lord on every day of the week ahead. That's what God wants us to do when we meet. He wants us to use our imagination. Uh, He wants us to be creative in that. He wants us to be flexible in doing that and above all life related uh, in doing that. There aren't many things that we really need to do when we gather uh, to to result in a very productive meeting but there are some. Recently I spoke to a young Christian woman who comes from uh, an Asian country where it's illegal to meet as Christians. So I said, well, what do you do? She said, oh, we still meet. I said, really, tell me more. She said, we meet in a different home each week and uh, she said, we go to that home uh, in ones and twos so we won't attract the attention of the authority. So it takes us about three or four hours to actually assemble together. And then, of course, it takes us three or four more hours to go home for the same reason, go home in ones and twos. And uh, we have about two or three hours together, so altogether they invest about ten hours in their Sunday meeting. I said, do you, uh, do you have um, singing? Oh, no, no singing. Would make too much noise. No music then, I guess. No, no music for the same reason. I said, do you have a preacher? Uh, No, no, he would attract attention. People would hear him and we'd get arrested. So I said, you don't have music and you don't have singing and you don't have a preacher. Uh, what, What do you do? And she said, we draw the blinds and we sit in a circle and we hold hands 
and we whisper encouragement to each other and we pray for one another. And I then asked a very foolish question because I didn't know what to say. So I said, do you have good meetings? (laughs) Crazy. But that's what I said. And she said, we have wonderful meetings. We have wonderful meetings. Makes you think, doesn't it? Makes you ask the question, what does God want us to do when we meet? Above all, uh, he wants us to take our Mondays seriously on Sundays. Now you say, there are too many of us here for us to do that. I mean, we'd be here all, all the week. Uh, commissioning each other to our spheres of daily work and study and residence. That's true. But even if you only commission one or two people each Sunday, um, that would uh, help those people immensely and every single one of you would be encouraged and challenged by that because every time you pray publicly for one of your members and commission them to their sphere of influence and ask God's blessing and enabling upon them. Every time you do that for one of your people, you encourage all of your people. And you raise the bar as to the importance of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You raise the bar for everyone uh, by doing that. It might take you a year to pray for all your people in that way or similarly, alternatively, to interview them and then to pray for them publicly. But whichever way you do it, um, it helps those people and everyone else immensely. And we begin to understand the importance of uh, our everyday lives and the fact that all of that taken together is the primary ministry of your church. So God wants us not so much to quote conduct a service in the technical sense but to hold a reunion at which we do everything and anything uh, which we believe will best prepare each other uh, to face the challenges of honouring the Lord in the week ahead. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we do ask that you will help us to comprehend both the opportunities and the challenges that we each um, find ourselves in on every day of every week. Father, I think of a young woman I met only yesterday in a box store who was working there and she was the only one, the only Christian of 120 uh, staff workers there Father we know that that's typical her situation is typical of many many others and some people in this building this morning and we ask that you'll give all of us an appreciation of uh, the need for us to take each other's Mondays seriously Father we ask that you will guide the people here at Montmorency as to how they might best do that on an ongoing basis 
and we thank you in advance for the huge difference that will make to uh, the way you use your people in their various spheres of influence day by day and we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.